0: Hi, this is Reagan. This week we're doing another one of our classic episode re-releases. Uh, we had a gap in the schedule and uh, decided it might be a good spot to drop back into your feed episode number two of the short game. This is from all the way back in April of 2014, and the very second game that we played for the show was The Stanley Parable, which Stands as still one of the great games that we've covered on the show really a truly wonderful game it was sort of back on my radar this you know this month because first of all just recently friend podcast watch out for fireballs did an episode on it that's much more exhaustive than ours if you'd like something more first of all with more up-to-date takes than we had in 2014 and also uh, about twice as long as our episode you can go check out episode 322 of watch out for fireballs talking about the stanley parable but if you'd like our more contemporaneous takes from 2014 this is a 2013 game uh, then you can check out our episode here and i think it's still a fun episode if you don't mind the first 15 minutes or so being very out-of-date takes about things like like the brand new PlayStation 4. Uh, So uh, stick around for that. The other reason that the Stanley Parable is on our radar again is that it seems that finally this year might be the year, uh, barring a, I think, third or fourth uh, delay, that we get the Stanley Parable Ultra Deluxe, which is an expanded re-release of the game that's uh, coming along probably this year. And we're really looking forward to it expands the game or will expand the game by about 50% with additional uh, content, keeping all of the existing endings, uh, perhaps in some updated forms here and there, uh, but also adding additional endings and a bunch more content. So I'm really, really looking forward to revisiting the game with that. Uh, and so I was checking back at our episode and I think it's fun. It stands up. So here it is. This is episode two of. Of the short game from all the way back in April of 2014 on the Stanley Parable. Short Game. This is the podcast where we talk about short game experiences that give you a lot in a short period of time. Games that respect your time and your intelligence. Uh, I am joined this week. Well, excuse me. I am your host. I am Reagan Kelly. And uh, I'll be talking this week with my twin brother, Shane Kelly. Introduce yourself, Shane. Hi, I'm Shane Kelly. I'm Reagan's twin brother. And describe yourself briefly. I'm about six feet tall and I have brown hair. Excellent description. And uh, Nate Heininger,
1: hello everybody. Describe yourself, Nate. I'm about five foot ten, and I have brown hair. Man, we looked
0: way too much alike to be all three. Ho- it's so glad this is not a video podcast. We're really
1: boring looking. Uh, I feel that I'm quite robust looking. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs>
0: All right, so uh, welcome back to episode two of the short game. Last week, we talked about the game Gone Home. Our intention initially was to talk about both Gone Home and the Stanley Parable, uh, but we got so wrapped up in talking about Gone Home that we went far past our intended episode length. Forgive us, dear listeners, but this week, we're going to be continuing with the second game that we were planning on discussing last week, which is... Stanley Parable. The Stanley Parable. A game that really blew my mind when I played it. We'll be diving into that in a few minutes, but uh, like I like to start the podcast, we're going to start by talking a little bit about what we're playing and what we have on the horizon. Um, I'll let Shane start. Well, thanks. I'm really excited about my game for this week, and I wasn't sure whether I should bring it to the table here today or not, but only because it's not technically a well, it's not at all a video game, it is a role playing game. I should probably interrupt and say that uh Shane is a dungeon master. I have been known as
1: such. Nerd. I know, I know. Nate, do you play role playing games? Uh I, I have never. I You like, haven't? No, and I I don't know. When I was in middle school <laughs> you know, I tried one <laughs> time with a group of friends and it was fun, but what game was it? We we did Dungeons and Dragons, of course, like you. Um, do. I don't really remember it quite well. I, I think I had fun, but I just have a hard time buying into that. I don't have any like disrespect for it or anything. I th- I'm sure it's a lot of fun. I just, me personally, I have a hard time buying into it. So I don't know, Nate. That you didn't know, sound like. A lot I of feel
0: respect. like a lot of people do. Uh, and stop me if this is an incorrect uh, presumption, but. A lot of people, I feel like, have a hard time getting into them because while the idea of getting together with a bunch of friends and having a wild fantasy You problem, can say it. Playing pretend. Playing pretend <laughs> is appealing. Um, they don't want to buy a bunch of books and learn a whole bunch of rules and possibly paint miniatures uh, in order to do it. And they also don't want to sit down for two and a half hours with that one guy who smells like canned cheese. Hey, canned <laughs> cheese is delicious, and the pleasing aroma is half of the appeal.
1: I don't, I, honestly, financials have never, have actually, for me, never had anything to do with it. Uh, it's probably if I was with the right group, I could have a lot of fun with it, but it's just not something that I've even really had much of an opportunity to get into. And the, the one time that I did play it i guess didn't hook me enough to continue Mm -hmm. and
0: my problem was that i sort of missed the ideal time for playing uh pencil and paper role playing games which i think is middle school and high school when you have an enormous amount of time on your hands that's because i think that these types of games sort of run counter to the short game uh experience, which is that I don't, first off, you have to have enough time to sit down and plan a campaign. You have to sit down and play that campaign and usually sessions of multiple hours over a long period of time. Um, you have to have numerous friends also interested in wasting their lives with you. (laughs) So Reagan, I'm glad you brought that up. This is exactly why I wanted to bring fate, the RPG, uh, to the table today. So Fate is a game that is based on a older game. It's that was called Fudge. Um, if that means anything to you, wonderful. If not, it doesn't matter. Delicious. Um,
1: sounds delicious. I read the art of
0: the book for Fudge uh, many years ago because it wasn't it illustrated with little like stick figures and it was passed around for free on the interwebs. Yes. Yeah. So the key to Fate and to its predecessor Fudge. that sounds really deep. The key to Fate. The key to Fate is that it's a game that is very different from most RPGs, which are designed to simulate the world uh, and create a system of rules uh, that everyone plays by in order to lift large objects or wield a sword or cast a magic spell. Simulate the world. Cast a magic spell. Simulate a world. All right. And the interesting thing about Fate is that it is designed to simulate a narrative and not a partic- and not really the physics of the world. So the way it works is if this appeals to you at all, it's
1: let's let's assume that it does. Okay. <laughs> for, for sake of you spending the time talking about it.
0: Actually I, I am kind of interested in yeah. this. And um Shane's told me a little bit about it. Please continue, Shane. So I am the idea in... behind it is that rather than creating a character sheet where you choose a class like thief uh or something like that, and stat out all these numbers to assign to your skills and so on, and uh you are creating a character that's primarily based around aspects that you essentially make up. So if I were designing a character that was Batman, my primary aspect would be something like Gotham's Caped Crusader. And when that aspect could come into play, I would have bonuses applied to the various skill roles that I would make. And not to get too deep into the mechanics of the game, but this is a very, very different approach from your Dungeons and Dragons or your other uh, role-playing games. And the, the thing that I thought might appeal to people who are interested in shorter gaming experiences is that this is a game that is designed for quick play and improvisation. So, if you're interested in role playing games, it's a free download from faterpg.com. Free? Go there. It's uh, download the Fate RPG PDF, available also as an EPUB or a Kindle file, and take a look at the rules and see what the game is all about. It actually does sound kind of cool. Um, I think that. Uh role playing games are an aspect of gaming culture that I don't get enough chance to explore mainly because I'm a loser with no friends. So um I will really check that out and hopefully be able to uh at least read over the rules and gain some uh some enjoyment by proxy out of it. But it sounds like a really cool uh
1: system. Um Nate, do you want to talk about your pick for the week? Sure. And I'm only going to talk about this briefly because it ha- really does not fit in the mold of this game at or of this podcast. So what you're telling me all. is neither one of you had a
0: short game to talk about this week.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, infamous Second Son. Uh, I recently uh, got it. PS4. For, oh, that's dork. Yes. Uh, I hadn't had a new system since the last system that was like that I owned was a nintendo 64 now i've been i've had roommates that have had 360s and, and a nintendo wii and stuff like that but this is the first system that i got like brand new wow that's much, really surprising
0: yeah. to me that's the first system that you've bought personally like with an n64 that wouldn't have been a uh, I go out and purchase it thing either would it have been that would have been a parental
1: purchase for your age wouldn't it
0: you don't know he might have had a paper route
1: I did not have a paper route. I did have an older brother that, between the two of us, we saved allowances and bought a Nintendo 64.
0: That uh, That's epic.
1: Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I don't want to spend a, a very long time on it because I am about eight hours into Infamous, and I'm at about 30% completion, so you can tell that it is a long game, and like our point uh, from the previous podcast, they released a patch on the first day that mm. was its big selling point was it was a free patch that added five hours of gameplay. So, <laughs> and that was what it said, like, free patch. More content. Yeah, more content. Is it
0: all collectibles?
1: Uh, as far as I can tell, there are not, uh, there's no needless collectibles in this game. Um, it is one of the most satisfying kind of combat systems that i've played in a while so
0: set up the game for us uh because actually i haven't seen a trailer for this game i don't have a ps4 so i haven't really been keeping an eye on this game at all set it up for us a little bit
1: well first of all it's gorgeous uh it definitely is utilizing the ps4 uh system but uh the best way i can describe it to a game that a lot of people probably played is it's kind of like assassin's creed with superpowers um, it's a little more open world to an extent. There's definitely a main storyline, but there's a lot of stuff you can do on the side. It's set in Seattle and it's gorgeous. They, I don't know how exactly like building to building it is true to Seattle, but they certainly made their best effort at making it look and feel exactly like Seattle. And you're basically a guy who happens upon superpowers, um, without going too deep into the story. And you utilize those powers and grow with those powers and achieve new powers while fighting an evil police force. And uh the guy is kind of a, a hood rat, kind of like 24 years old and was really into like, uh this is cheesy, but basically like parkour to an extent. And that's why you can, it's like Assassin's Creed like, you can sling across buildings, climb up poles, pretty much everything is scalable, but you also can fire essentially smoke fire out of your hands and kind of poof up a little bit so uh, and the combat is kind of like the uh, Arkham games
0: oh well that's a big selling point for me because honestly the best thing about the Arkham games is the combat as far as I'm concerned they did such a wonderful job of incorporating the the fun of one versus many combat from like old-school brawlers into a 3d world where there's no you know, yeah. it's not a, it's not a 2d brawler. It's this massive 3d brawler with yeah. a combo system that feels fun and you can feel like you can innovate a little bit when you're, when you're fighting. So actually that's, that's a really uh, big plus as far as I'm concerned. So
1: take that with the ability to kind of warp around uh in really quick. That's very intuitive. So if you're kind of aim the joystick in the general direction of where a bad guy is and hit the warp button, you will, poof right to them which you can combo a couple different things there's also a good and bad element to it kind of uh you know knights of the old republic a morality system yes which they did a very good job with it because i have chosen to play good the first run through and a lot of games where you choose to be good it kind of ends up being the boring route but you know you're the good guy like, uh, like Dishonored. Yes. Uh, which I would love to do an episode on
0: someday because yeah. I actually feel like that may just fall within our, uh, our length. Yeah, this uh, has some similarities
1: limit. with, uh, Dishonored for sure. And, uh, but they do a good job because instead of killing enemies, you have the option to subdue them in certain circumstances. But the subduing actual action, he base you still basically head slam the guys and it's incredibly like, graph, not graphic, but in very intense and very satisfying. And so you can do this, um, you know, a, a pretty cool combo that you can pull off is you can shoot this sulfur bomb that makes everybody kind of in a haze and you can use that warp thing and basically warp around head slamming these guys. And I was able to subdue a group. I, it keeps like a tracker. The more you subdue in a row, I had eight subdues in like six seconds from poofing into this room and just bouncing back and forth head slamming them all and when it was done i was like well that was one of the most fun things i've ever played in a video game that sounds like a lot of fun that's yeah awesome all Do, on top that... of it being gorgeous so awesome
0: is that going to be a multi-platform game or is that
1: ps4 exclusive you know what that's a great question i believe that it is ps4 only I... all right
0: yeah i'm pretty sure the original uh A couple of those were all PS4 only, PS3 only.
1: You're right. Yes, it is a, uh, it is, um, what's the word I'm looking for, exclusive? It is a PS exclusive, which is why I had never even heard of this series, because I haven't really had a PlayStation uh, since the original, and a lot of people that I know that do have PS4s have been really hyping this game, and so I was very excited to get it
0: i heard a bunch of mediocre stuff about the very first game in the series so i haven't gone back to check them out but um i'm glad to hear sort of a ringing endorsement of this one it sounds really yeah. cool so i'm gonna be over at your house checking out this game it's, and it's gorgeous i like i can't say it
1: i can't say that enough how pretty and seamless everything is if you have a ps4 i can't recommend it enough so well the ps4 is actually shaping up to be a
0: pretty cool system i'm really excited about it sony has been firing on all cylinders do you own a vita no I I don't own a PS4. I'm not totally planning on buying one anytime really soon, although I'm considering picking one up eventually. But the Vita has been really turning into the indie gaming hub of console world right now. There are so many amazing games coming out on the Vita. And I think it's partly because they've got great support for the Unity engine. And so people are porting those games over. Um, you've seen a lot of ports of indie games for the PC. So, um, keep an eye on the Vita, which I think Sony is really reaching out to the indie gaming community in a big way. And they're doing an amazing job. Uh, And speaking of which, Well, speaking of the indie gaming community, I don't think this is out on the Vita yet, which would make this a really awesome segue, but it's not. Um, My game that I wanted to sort of preview and talk about just came out just recently, and I cannot wait to play it, but I haven't been able to yet. And that is Escape Goat 2. Escape Goat 2. Okay. Goat Simulator? No, not Goat Simulator. Uh, oh, that's not out yet. But I have seen Goat Simulator, and I think that's that game looks. Uh, these are real titles. These are both both totally distinct, separate goat-oriented goat. games. Um, and actually, three because Goat uh, Escape Goat Two is a sequel to the highly successful uh, indie platform puzzler uh, Escape Goat. Uh, Escape Goat is out on Steam. Uh, And uh, it's about five bucks. And I haven't actually played it yet. It was one of those games that I was planning on picking up you know as soon as it hits a sale or you know as soon it's as it's been in your steam library for six months and you've never even installed it <sighs> i've got a lot of games like that but escape goat has been really intriguing it's got this beautiful 8-bit style 8-bit is the wrong word it's uh it's more 16-bit um style of pixel art graphics and uh, you are a goat and you are trying to escape from a magical tower and it's a puzzle platformer and uh the
1: description that they put on the website hang on i actually have to pull this up
0: and they're really hustling these goat games.
1: <laughs> I feel like the goat genre has not been explored enough. Are, definitely... are
0: you guys uh are you guys familiar with the Tumblr goats standing on things?
1: Absolutely. So Absolutely not.
0: For our listeners, if you're if you're fans of if, if you enjoy the game Escape Goat, Escape Goat 2 or Goat Simulator 2014, uh just go ahead and, and do yourself a favor. And check out goatsstandingonthings.tumblr.com.
1: I'm going to have to pull that up immediately. I was in Colorado two months ago, and I saw a bunch of goats on top of a mountain. So I feel like I'm really invested in this goat thing right now. Fantastic! I think it's actually a big fad right now. Well, okay, goats I was so
0: hot right now. Goats are so hot right now. Oh my god. Uh, I was just about to, uh, read off their, I think, really elegant description of the game from their website. So, this is Escapegoat 2, developed by Magical Bean Time, published by Double Fine Productions. So actually, I think this is a big win for them. Their initial game was, uh, self-published, I think, and they had to go through the green light process to get it onto Steam. Um, and actually it came out in 2011 and I didn't hear about it until it hit steam in 2013. I mean, we're talking about a huge gap between the time when the game escape goat one originally came out and the time when it made it to steam and started really gaining notoriety. Um, and it's been doing really well on steam and escape goat two is being released, has been released on steam, um, Because it's being published by Double Fine. And Double Fine has, you know, done a really cute video for it and all that. But here's their description of it. The only indie game in 2014 not inspired by Dark Souls with no roguelike elements or procedural content. Did either of you guys play Dark Souls? I had a really troubled day. Actually, sorry, two days. I purchased Dark Souls... I brought it home, I put it in my PlayStation 3, and I played it for an entire weekend. And at the end of that weekend, I had made essentially no progress, and I returned it and bought Batman Arkham Asylum. (laughs) And that was the best decision that I ever made. I purchased Dark Souls on Steam, and I installed it, and I played for 10 hours. (laughs) And I did not escape the initial level, which is a undead asylum or something you like figure that. figure out how to complete the tutorial. I did not. Is so there a tutorial? <laughs> I don't really think there is. So I think that that game represents the antithesis of everything that I love about games. And I know there are a lot of people out there who absolutely love Dark Souls. And I know that it's an elegant game and beautiful in its own way. And that there's a lot of really great things about that game. But ain't nobody got time for that. Boo. Oh, come on now. That's the whole... It's... it's All right, sweet brown. I, I hate you. It's just the wrong game for me. Yeah. It's got these really nice graphics now. They've, they've actually um, dropped their uh, their pixel graphic style, and they've gone for a more sort of um, animation-looking kind of style. It just looks awesome. So um, I haven't played it yet, uh, but I in, fully intend to pick it up, and I'm really excited about it. I think it looks like just the right kind of game. Looks cool. Escape Goat Does. 2. Escape Goat 2. Does it have any kind of subtitle like uh Goaty Boogaloo or Escape Goat 2...
1: More Goats.
0: Goatin Harder. Give them the horns.
1: Something like that. Ooh, there you go. You find that one was that one was your best that last. No, one.
0: I don't really think any of those were at all satisfying. Okay. no um they were smart enough to simply call it a scapegoat 2 and move on escape goat 2 now you have a friendly mouse actually that's exactly right the the big innovation in the gameplay <laughs> is that you have a friend who is a mouse
1: now innovative Mm-hmm. indeed
0: i just think like how how much farther could the platform genre go <laughs> they've definitely peaked i'm pretty excited about the game And I've also been very, very excited to talk to you guys about the Stanley Parable. Oh, God, yes. So... Can I just ask how, how many of, uh, have each of you played the Stanley Parable? Of course. Yes. Okay. And I assumed. And just rough guess: how many of the endings do you think you saw? That's a really difficult question. Well, I wasn't counting.
1: Well, Shane. Funny you should have asked. I just so happened to write down every ending I came across while I was <laughs> playing. Oh my what? God, Nate! You are You're so the prepared. Most prepared. Well, Jinx. You know, some of us take these types of things seriously. So, you know. <laughs> uh, let me count it real quick. You don't belong here. I found 11 of the of the endings in my about two hours of playing. And I believe Fabulous. there's 15, 16 total?
0: I think it depends on how you what you consider an ending and what you don't. Because I have seen the count
1: as high as 20 or 21. Okay. So... We should say at the very beginning, the last time we were concerned about spoiling the content of Gone Home, I think that we cannot even be. The fact that we just talked about all the endings is spoiling one of the main concepts of Stanley Parable. I don't think there's any true spoiling
0: of the Stanley Parable.
1: I think the true, the best experience. If playing this game is having never heard anything about this game at all.
0: I'd just like to turn to the listeners at this moment and say that any discussion that we're about to have about the Stanley Parable that refers to multiple endings is false. <laughs> it's a very linear game with a single track. Please disregard everything we're saying. It's a puzzle platformer primarily featuring a goat. Occasionally you have a mouse helper There
1: is a narrator. It is important that you listen and believe in the narrator. (laughs) All right, so let's set up the game then. The
0: Stanley Parable is a first-person game. Uh, It initially began its life as actually a mod on Half-Life 2 or a source engine-based mod so it was initially distributed for free I think it originally came around in 2011 so it was in developed for quite a development for quite a long time the initial mod was pretty much all the work of one guy it later became the work of a small team but we're talking about a, a really Artured kind of thing it's a small team game what is currently available on Steam is really in a way an HD remake of the original mod, which was distributed for free and had significantly smaller sort of scope. Uh, Nate, how would you, like, if you were kind of, spoilers aside, going to set up the game for someone and tell them what they're in for by playing the Stanley Parable, what would you describe it as?
1: That's a good question. Um, Man, if I were to explain it to somebody that I wanted to explain the type of experience that they're going to have, um, cause again, I-, I had several people play this game after I played it and I said, play this game and I was silent and just let them make their decisions. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you, play- but we can't do that yeah. with our podcast audience. I know. I know. So you could probably delete <laughs> all that anyway. Podcast audience. You don't want to listen to this show. What are you doing? Go away. I know. I'm so torn. So you play the role of Stanley who, uh, has a meaningless, boring job pushing buttons on his screen. Literally, he sits in an office. The screen will tell him what button to press, and he presses that button, and that's his job. And he's very happy. One day, no command comes down to his computer. He sits there for a while, waiting for it, before finally getting up from his desk, walking outside, and realizing that all of his uh, coworkers are gone. That is the point that you take control of Stanley. A narrator guides you along as you walk through each room, kind of setting the tone and describing the things that you're seeing, No, you know, pointing I out. I should that mention there's...
0: that the narrator has an impeccable British accent.
1: The narrator is quite possibly the best part of the game and really the key to the game. Uh, as the narrator, as you walk through, you come to certain decisions that you can make. The narrator may give you, will narrate as if you are about to make a certain decision. It is up to you whether you will follow that decision or not. And the narrator reacts and adjusts his narration according to the decisions that you make.
0: I think that's a fair description of the game. I think the key to it is, just like with Gone Home, this game is not about running, jumping, attacking. This is something that falls into the interactive fiction genre. But this one is something that is a little bit different because of the themes of the game. To me, whereas the themes of Gone Home are more traditional narrative themes like, you know, family, um, uh, loneliness, uh, investigation, dis- you know, discovery of oneself, this game is an exploration of gaming, gaming tropes. And in particular, the idea of storytelling and the freedom of choice that a video game gives to the player. And in particular, if we're contrasting it with Gone Home, I'd say probably the biggest structural difference between this and Gone Home... Is that There are player choices. Gone Home gives you player choices in the sense that you can decide when and in what order to pick up the many objects in the game, but really what you're doing is discovering uh, an existing story, whereas in this, you're making your own story by making numerous choices in a kind of a branching plot. It's a bit of a choose-your-own-adventure with numerous windy little possible story choices that you can make, but the Story choices are often as simple as, am I going to go through the door on the left, or am I going to go through the door on the right? Or, will I obey the implicit command of the narrator, or will
1: I choose to do something different? To set it up, for example, the way it works is you'll walk into a room with two doors, and the narrator, in his awesome British voice, which I'm not even going to try to impersonate, he will say, Stanley entered the room and went through the door on the left before you have made the choice to go through the door on the left. If you go through the door on the left, he continues on with his story. If you go through the door on the right, he may say something like, Stanley was feeling quite rebellious that day and and clearly is talking to the player, but reacting to the moves that Stanley, the character, makes.
0: It's a bit hard to truly explain the way this game is structured um, without you trying it out a little bit yourself. There's this incredible fun of branching narratives, but it's more than just branching. The choices are mostly about trying to figure out ways to try something new that the game doesn't expect you to try. And the delight in that is discovering that the developers actually had already thought of it and had put in some content just for you. You know, you'll try something that you think, oh, surely there's no way that the game would already have planned for me to do this. But it did, and there's some narration and some funny jokes and some new content that you'll discover based on that.
1: They do a very good one with that where uh, they kind of make fun of the player in that way. There's one where you can go through a set of slow closing doors. And if you back out real quick while those doors are closing, you think like, ha, I beat the, you know, I beat the system. Well, then the narrator berates you for thinking that you're some sort of, you know, smarter than him. And, and it starts a whole other chain.
0: Yeah. I I think my favorite like that was that right in the very first room, Uh, There's an open window, and looking out of this window, all you see is just sort of blank white nothingness. But if you happen to climb up on the desk and climb out of that window, you fall down out of the map. There's You're surrounded by blank white nothingness. And at first, you think you've broken the game, but then the narrator chimes in and said, At first, Stanley thought he had glitched the map. (laughs) And that is actually quite a long narration there. There is, and overall, like the the, the overall, like I mentioned, I think the theme of this game is definitely choice. Um, it is it is possible to make so many different choices in this game that I'm currently looking at a flowchart of the game, trying to remind myself of some of the some of the endings that I achieved in this game, and I simply cannot like. I am having a hard time even parsing this game as a flowchart. And comparing that to another game that I felt explored the idea of player choice, which would be something like Bioshock, uh, the number of choices that you make in that game is such just a bare handful or less. And the effect that they have in the game is so minimal. But in this game, it makes you feel as though you can do anything when in fact you are being railroaded like crazy <laughs> it's amazing it's a uh, it's so as far as gameplay is concerned most of the most of the gameplay is just involving um, Listening to what the narrator has to say. So he will give you some, uh, some backstory or some, uh, story about what's going on with Stanley at the moment. And then you can try to do almost anything. You can try to backtrack out of the map. You can try to, uh, follow what the narrator was saying. You can take usually numerous other branching places that you can go. And there's always some narration to go with it. Reagan, should we outline the, main ending or the the one that's most likely before we kind of continue about the ways that you can break it yeah so that's a great question so let's talk a little bit about some of our favorite
1: endings when you guys played it for the first time how did you react what like did you listen to the narrator the entire way
0: out of curiosity, and I thought just to sort of set a baseline for the game, I decided to follow what I considered kind of the, you know, natural path of the game, which would be doing whatever the narrator told me. So the first time through, which was a playthrough that took about maybe five minutes at the most, um, I exited the office. Stanley looks around, discovers that all of his coworkers are gone, and wonders where they could be. And the narrator instructs you to head towards the conference room. And so I did. I headed directly for the conference room. When I entered the room with two doors, I chose the door on the left, which gave you, you know, which is the direct path to the conference room that the narrator instructs you to take. Um that leads you to a um
1: uh, I think to a staircase. Yeah, you are then instructed to go up to your boss's office and see if Maybe he is there and can shed some light on as to what is going up, going on. You have a couple options along the way. One of them is to go up or down a staircase. So I went up the staircase towards the boss's office. When
0: you enter the boss's office, it gives you this really bizarre choice, which is to say that it—you know—you enter the boss's office and you see that there's a keypad on the wall, which it's clear unlocks something, but the narrator tells you that Stanley doesn't know the code. But the narrator says it in a way that there was no way that Stanley could know that the code was, and he reads off the number of the code. So then actually, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know whether, if Stanley didn't know the code, then I certainly shouldn't know the code. So I certainly couldn't put that code in. But then I had almost no other choice. So I ended up standing there in the boss's office thinking, what is the correct thing to do? What does the narrator want me to do? And eventually I was left with no other choice other than just putting the code in because there's nowhere else to go. And you realize, wait, no matter what, you have to disobey expectations in this game. So even if you play through it with completely the plan of sticking to the narrator's game. Even within the very first path, you have to take a different
1: path. That was the moment when I really started to comprehend what this game was going for, because I had absolutely no idea what this game was about, how it would play, anything other than a brief trailer read in that guy's voice and that doesn't really tell you anything either
0: no i was very confused about what the game was based on the trailer when i saw the trailer i thought that it was some sort of well initially i thought it might be a platformer or a shooter and i because they really don't show you very much in the trailer it's uh i think very intelligently they they leave it very mysterious because it
1: has to be so after you go through that door, you're led down an elevator where you come across an option to go to the left to go through an escape route or go forward through a, into a gigantic room labeled Mind Control Facility. And of course, if you enter the
0: Mind Control Facility, the narrator speaks a whole lot about Stanley... Realizing that he's been controlled his whole life by this horrible machine. And, and of course you're given a choice whether or not you want to turn it off. And if you do turn it off, then one of the large walls of the mind control facility room slides slowly down and out the window or door, whatever you see, a big empty field with a road and... Uh, Stanley can escape down the road as the narrator describes the feeling of freedom that Stanley had emerging from his long captivity in his job.
1: Yeah, and the narrator is saying things such as Stanley realized that he didn't care where his uh, co-workers had gone. He didn't care where his boss would gone. He only cared about living a happy, full life from here on out and things like that. Undoubtedly a pleasant ending, but
0: totally unsatisfying when Mm -hmm. you realize all the numerous other fascinating paths that you can take. Yeah, it does it does take pains to remind you of all of the unanswered questions in that ending.
1: Exactly. It set me up because even though I was really starting to get a uh, comprehend kind of the the idea that they were going for, after that ending, I still thought that I might be able to find where the co-workers had gone and that I might be able to find where my boss has gone and that there may be an ending that will lead me or not necessarily an ending but a path that will lead me to answers about the environment, when in fact there are really none. There's just different versions of that.
0: I think the closest thing you get to that was one of the second or or maybe third endings that I got, which is following that same initial path that leads to the kind of successful uh, completion ending. Uh, But at a certain point, you take a wrong turn and go down instead of up. And you wind up in a kind of a basement area where Stanley starts to kind of question his sanity and then is, uh, it's revealed that he was truly insane all along and, uh, has, is, is now dying on the sidewalk after having leapt from a building. Uh, which was extremely depressing. (laughs) And here's what's really so fascinating about all of these endings. Certainly, if you follow the sort of correct path, the narrator is rewarding you with a beautiful wandering out into the sunset experience. But when you take any other path that countermands the narrator's control over you, the narrator Is essentially punishing you for your choices. So almost any other path that you take, the narrator first is struggling to work around the inconsistency that you're creating in his perfect story and then the farther and farther you deviate from his path the more bizarre or unpleasant things he throws into your path so that's why we end up with the insanity ending where you are a suicide case it's because the narrator has decided that you've gone too far off of his path and that is a that is the way to close the story in a satisfactory manner you're always feeling like there's a tension between you and the narrator, where the narrator is trying to keep you on the path by telling you what to do or implying what you should do. And you are trying to find new and interesting ways to get off of
1: that path and see what the narrator does to compensate. And you can make wrong decisions in the narrator's eyes at the beginning, but he will continue to try to guide you back to that main storyline. So you can actually achieve the happiness ending with still having made a few different decisions early on. It's only once you have really gone against the narrator over and over that you come to these alternate endings that we keep talking about.
0: One of the most interesting experiences to me in the game is the ending you get if you push that to the extreme and you reject everything that the narrator tries to get you to do, the game really, at that point, kind of reveals to you the point of the whole experience, I believe, which is where it's showing you that it's truly a question of choice in games. It takes you kind of through all these other gameplay elements where they ask you to do things like, please rate your gameplay experience, because clearly you're not satisfied with the Stanley Parable as it is created, because you're trying to break the game at every step. And then it takes you through a variety of different other popular, more popular games like Portal and Minecraft. Oh, you didn't like my game. Would you rather play Minecraft? And it drops you into a pixel-perfect recreation of a Minecraft level where the narrator continues to, Uh, sulk and create his own little Minecraft house while you watch. And then
1: he forces you to mine for diamonds.
0: Except, of course, in the Stanley Parable, you have no ability to jump. (laughs) And so you find yourself completely unable to do anything.
1: Yeah, then once he decides that, uh, you know, you had enough of Minecraft, this clearly isn't the game you're looking for, he drops you into Portal. And you can actually kind of interact with items in the world like, like you can in Portal. There's a radio playing that you could pick up and throw around. And after you solve a very simple Portal puzzle, it pops you into another game. It, it, it's really silly. I mean, it is exactly Portal. It's the Source Engine. They perfectly recreate a, a puzzle from Portal for you.
0: And, and you know, it's definitely silly, but it it definitely is tr- making a point. And that's what I liked about about this game is that it made me question all of my gaming experiences in the past where I've been asked to make a choice in the same way that some games in a very different way when I played BioShock Infinite uh, and I would get to a choice like do I give uh do I give this character the uh the brooch thing that has a a bird cage on it or a bird and that choice I find has I, you know, I immediately turned to the internet and I was like, oh shit, which one do I do? The most meaningless choice in the video, yeah. in the video game and it's given this weight. Yes. And I looked it up on the internet and it turns out that none of the choices in that game made any difference to your experience or to the plot. And in this game where every choice you make essentially delivers you a completely different ending, it's asking me, is it any different? Why do you play a game where In any case, your choices are going to be limited to exactly what was exactly the path that was set out for you by the developer. It is a really amazing commentary on games. So I think there's several ways to play this game. It's got great appeal as just a fun digital toy. In a way, it's not so much a game as just something that you can bang your way through and experience a really bizarre little thing. On top of that, it's got this really hilarious story. Uh well, not story. It's just got really it's it's a joke a minute. It's it's really funny. There's just something hysterical about the game. The narrator is an amazing voice actor and Oh, it's it's very very funny. Very well written. It's an extremely funny game. But then on top of that, if you care to play it as a commentary on games, then it does have this deeper level to it that really Makes it interesting to play multiple times and think about the implications. And it, it wears that, it wears all three of those on its sleeve. It's clearly a funny game. They were clearly going for that. It clearly has this, like, try to achieve all of the endings, you know, um, aspect to it where you can check those off on your checklist if you want. But it has that commentary aspect that just sets it, I think, one level above anything else that's, uh, that I've played as far as a, um, as far as a short game I wound commentary. And perhaps the worst possible ending to get as your first ending. Which is called the museum ending. Ah uh, yeah. You're taking the narrator's path all the way down to the mind control facility. And then there's some kind of piece of graffiti or something that tells you turn left, don't go in there. It it's says it's, it's escape. The,
1: that's the escape it's that scape. I was just
0: talking about. Yeah fortunately, I ran into the museum ending probably last. To kind of describe the the plot or, you know, the path that you take in order to get to the museum ending, you start by following mostly what the narrator does or tells you to do. um, But just before you enter what seems to be the final climactic ending, the game gives you an option of going down a side path that says escape. And you end up in a all-white, clearly sort of Almost like afterlifey-looking museum where you can see displays that the developer created to show you all the different stages that the game went through in creation, including some of little displays of the different props and different uh, versions of levels that you haven't seen, things that weren't included in the final game. But it's more than that because. If it were just about getting to the museum, that would be cool. But I don't feel like that would necessarily add anything to the theme of the game. But what's really interesting is that when you get out of the museum, a different narrator takes over. And I'll leave it at that because I feel like it's really worth experiencing. But the game ends with a second narrator telling you that the only way to win is to not play. And then when the game ends, the game just stops and you don't return to a, to a start screen like you do with all of the other endings. You just sit there on a blank black screen until eventually you choose to quit the game. I thought
1: that was the most chilling ending in a sense. Chilling is a good word for it. There are multiple chilling endings and I think that is probably the most, though.
0: I think one of the... I don't know which ending I would describe as my favorite, because I loved all of them. They were all my children. But... (laughs) The ending that I tried the most times, which the ending that really got me, you know, each ending had a a, sort of a trick to it or some element of appeal that drew you to it. There's an ending that they call the bomb ending that you go entirely up to the very end of the main path. And right at the end, instead of turning the mind control machine off, you try and turn it on. And what that does is it starts a countdown for the whole facility to self-destruct. And you're in a room where you're surrounded by objects that you can interact with, computer consoles, buttons, switches of all kinds. And the narrator is talking to you through the entire time of this countdown. And he's telling you that it's impossible to shut the co- countdown off and that you're doomed. And the fact that you're surrounded by all these objects you can interact with is just there to convince you of the opposite. I tried that ending probably three or four times. <laughs> I spent more Sorry. time in that ending than I spent in any other room or any other That's aspect of the funny. game. Trying all the buttons and switches because they've included so many. There were at least ten computers in that game, and some of them are so compelling because they seem connected.
1: There's numbered. There's numbered. They're
0: numbered. Buttons. Like <laughs> you want to see if maybe you can find all of the location of them and hit them in order, stuff like that. And no matter what you do, when that countdown, re- like none of those buttons have any effect. Other than to maybe change the color of some of the other buttons <laughs> at one point the the, uh, the the narrator decides that he's so amused by your your interaction with all of the buttons and switches that he's going to put a few more minutes back on the clock just to let it go a little longer yeah, you are
1: berated the entire time for trying to press those buttons
0: and that ending that got me it really yeah. tricked me it made it It definitely made me look at the whole structure of the game as how I, as the player, am being driven around this virtual space, which I think is part of the theme of the game. Like, is it my choice or is it the developer's choice to put those, to put those elements there? You know, who really has agency in this world?
1: It's funny. I had my roommate play this game and I gave him no instruction. I said, Hey, play this game and. It's pretty interesting to watch somebody and the decisions that they make. And he played it, uh, if you, you know, if we call it the golden path or the, the, the winning the game path, um, he played it all the way through. At one point, he started to go down that escape hatch, but the narrator said, you know, something to the effect of if Stanley continued down this path, he would be eviscerated. And so my roommate playing set went like, "Oh, well, I don't want that." So he actually turned around and went back, went all the <laughs> way through everything perfectly, got to the final switch, and then there decided to go against the narrator, turn it on and ran frantically around trying to turn the buttons, saying things like, "This is dumb. There's nothing I can do. What do I do? I don't <laughs> I don't I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. This
0: game is dumb."
1: <laughs> well, it wasn't like that, but it, it was still... It was really funny, and I just... I found it interesting to to, to go the whole time following the directions and the very last one. I think that's not.
0: brilliant, that it, that's biggest punishment for you is... And that's one of the endings that I think the most punishing on the player mm-hmm. is the ending where you have done everything right. You've followed all the rules right up until the end. And just then, you're like, what if I... What if I break some of these rules and it totally just <laughs> destroys you mm-hmm. and it tortures you for a good five ten minutes <laughs> at every turn this game this game has more narrative choices than any other game i've ever played in the very brief t- in a five minute game, front to back if you 're playing one time through, and yet it finds a way to make you feel that all of these enormous number of choices you have all amount to squat and that you are a robot in a machine just pushing buttons when they show up on your computer just pushing buttons yeah. when they show up on your computer and it says it in the first minute stanley is content to sit in his chair and push buttons on a computer. And it's meaningless. And then you spend your entire rest of your afternoon sitting in a chair, playing a game, pressing buttons on a computer when you're told to
1: by a narrator. It's so perfect in its theme. My favorite ending, and it's this one's a little bit hard to explain because it's it's very, very narrator-driven, where he is essentially ranting for, for minutes. But you... Take a certain path where he sort of changes his story and says, like, well, don't you realize that this isn't actually about you, Stanley? This is about her. There's someone in your life that you've been neglecting, Stanley. It's time that you talk to her and you enter a room with a uh, ringing phone. And if you answer the phone... Uh, you're led to believe that it's your wife and then you pop up in an apartment where you hear a woman's voice behind a door saying like oh honey you're home i'm so happy and you kind of think like oh maybe stanley actually has a wife the door opens and a white like polygoned Female body, almost a mannequin. Yeah, a mannequin's a good way to describe it. Kind of slides over, like on a kind of on a wheel. Slides over, and then the the narrator starts laughing at you and starts kind of berating you for thinking that you had any choice in the matter, any actual life outside of this game. Like there was any sort of story beyond the one that he had created. And all the while, in order to advance the narrator's uh you know his whole spiel at you you have to press certain buttons it'll pop up and say press q to hear about your terrible life and then you press q and he berates you for pressing q and at one point he says like no matter what i say you will press the next button it says stanley do not press the next button and it says like press n to continue and if you don't press it you just sit there and at that point you could quit the game or you have to press in. And so when you press in, he goes, see, you will sit there all day doing exactly what I told you to. And it kind of goes into that. Exactly. what We were just talking about, like, do you really have choice in a game when, um, and there's a, there's a really, really good quote. And this is actually from the museum ending. And, I think it actually kind of speaks to the entire concept behind the game. And this comes from the narrator. When you enter the museum and they say, when every path you can walk has been created for you long in advance, death becomes meaningless, making life the same. Do you see, do you see that Stanley was dead from the moment he hit start? So There is no innovation. No matter what you do, it's been already designed by somebody. No
0: matter how inventive you feel when you glitch through the wall, the developer put that glitch
1: there for you to discover. A big word in game design right now is open world. Sandbox. Sandbox. And to an extent, like what is it emergent gameplay where they set up rules and you kind of like the developers of grand theft auto maybe not have specifically designed the idea of you sitting from a certain building shooting a certain rifle in a certain certain area but they designed your ability to do that so there's you cannot do anything truly unique in a video game because all of the rules were created by somebody
0: i really think that gets to the heart of the whole concept of this game And that quote really encapsulates it. I think about, you know, even when I sit down to play a game of Mario, I fire up Mario 3 on a regular basis. And I guarantee you, I've never achieved anything in that game that is unique or uh, unachievable by anyone. And and that's not something that's surprising to say about a game as simple as Mario. But if you look at some of these games today, they really want to provide you with the illusion of agency and choice. And it's all just a beautiful illusion. And this game just sits, stands there and takes a little pin and pokes that illusion and just deflates it I'll just right around you. It's really wonderful. And in the funniest possible way. Oh
1: my oh god, yeah. so funny. Oh yeah, I mean, it's very contemplative. You're constantly thinking about these themes, but laughing the entire time. It is a brilliant joke. And
0: it it makes your entire pastime of playing
1: video games a brilliant joke. I have to say, within an hour of playing this game, it immediately became one of my favorite games I've ever played, just for these concepts that we're talking about. I've never thought so much about what I was doing in the moment than when I was playing The Stanley Parable, and laughing the entire time, too. There's a, um, this is kind of a sidebar, but if you're... If you're looking for things that do this, but for other mediums, there's a a book called Readers' Block out there, uh, written by David Markson, and it kind of takes the same concept with uh, fiction. And I've never read another book like this. So if you're looking for other kind of,
0: I I, that, I think like I this. will uh, uh, I will check that out. That sounds I I one of my favorite plays is one called. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yep. And it's a similar- You know, you're so right. In a strange way, I thought of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead while I was playing this game, and not just because of the charming British accent. Absolutely. Yeah, which, which again was referenced in, uh, Bioshock Infinite, which I thought, although it was almost complete, it, although it was completely free of meaningful choices, uh, it addressed the same themes. And in the first scene where you see the Lutises in that game, uh, you know, this is a bit of a rabbit hole starting to talk about Bioshock, but they're, they're reenacting a scene from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern.
1: So check out that novel if you're interested. It's a very, very quick read, and it's nothing like I've ever seen before. In Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, absolutely one of the funniest, most inventive plays I've ever seen as well.
0: Well, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about this game today.
1: Um, anybody have any last parting thoughts they want to leave us with? I do want to throw one more in there that I meant to bring up with the museum one Uh very early on in the game when I still thought there was something to figure out when I still thought that I could solve the mystery more fool you yeah that they lay out where are my missing co-workers I was investigating pretty heavily looking at every desk looking at every door trying to go over and I noticed that there's pieces of paper laying everywhere. And if you look at the piece of paper, you recognize that there are only two different types throughout the entire place. Everywhere there's paper. It's one of two types of like two documents. You can't read them or anything, but you notice that they look exactly the same. And I thought maybe there was something to that. Uh, I don't know. Just early on looking for clues in the museum, in one of the corners, you come across a copy machine And sitting on that copier are the two papers that are throughout the entire game (laughs) with a a big pile of them as if they had been recently printed coming out of the copier. And I sat there and I said, damn, they got me again. (laughs) Every time I think I am getting one over on this game or think that I am coming to a original logical conclusion they turn it around and show you that probably everybody or a lot of people thought that you are not the first person to do that. (laughs) You have no free choice. You are not a butterfly. Why are you doing this? I love it. And then I cried and I shut it (laughs) off. And then (laughs) you
0: restarted the game.
1: And then I restarted.
0: I have one thing to play off of that, which there is one third piece of paper. I was going to say the exact same thing. Is there? There is. If you are heading towards the boss's office, but go downstairs instead of up. And you go to the bottom of the stairs, and you look under the stairs, you'll find an Easter egg from none other than Gone Home. You'll find a piece of paper that is one of the notes from Gone Home that at the time, I did not when I played this game, I did not recognize it. I was like, what the hell is this? But it was the note in Gone Home where she drew a picture of
1: a cat riding a motorcycle. I had no idea. I did not find that. So that's pretty funny. There are tons awesome. of little
0: Easter eggs like that in this game. I didn't want to bring some of them were really delightful and I didn't want to bring too many of them up, but that one because it ties back to our to our uh, initial uh our initial episode, I just couldn't resist. Yeah, in addition to being just a really wonderful game, it is clearly a game made by people who love Indie games in particular and want to celebrate other indie games that they've loved. And that's why the, the excellent references all throughout it to other games. None of them so ostentatious as to feel completely out of place. Um, but just you can tell that this game was made with love by somebody
1: who loves indie games and totally understands the mind of a gamer, much like gone home. Uh, they per, you know, perfectly predict what most people will do and have a something prepared for that. There's even an ending where if you try to cheat the game using terminal, it knows that you tried to input uh, a cheat and will drop you into a room where you are punished for trying to <laughs> cheat. I never I never achieved that ending. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, I didn't I, I found that one later. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, so where can people play this game? Steam. I got it through Steam. It is Mac and PC, and I believe Linux. Linux as well. well. So unfortunately, this one has not yet
0: come to consoles. I don't know if it would receive the reception on consoles that it has on the Mac and PC.
1: Well, if it's, uh, the, like the PS4 is doing pretty well with, uh, the network, like Don't Starve came to it, um, and you could download it and play it on your PS4. Awesome. It could maybe, but, I would be surprised if they bothered. Mm -hmm. Well, I can't
0: recommend picking this up enough. It hits pretty much every big Steam sale lately. And, um, Mm -hmm. even at full price, it's only 15 bucks and it is so completely worth your time and, and for, you
1: know, $14.99. And have your friends play it. It's a lot of fun to watch as people, uh, watch how people make decisions. I have not been able to make
0: That happened, but I really want to now. Is this back to you not having any friends? Yeah, yeah. This is why you guys aren't interested in role-playing games, because you're a couple of Loner, sh- loser, shut-ins. Mm-hmm.
1: Actually, I, while well, thinking about it, have a better answer to why I don't like role-playing games. I don't know if this is a good time for this, but basically, <laughs> oh, I please like.
0: Please do interject.
1: When I'm with my friends playing a game, I am directly looking for direct competition, and those games are a little more cooperative than I usually will go for. So,
0: fair enough. <laughs>
1: you can edit that out later.
0: All right. <laughs> Well, this was a really exciting episode. I'm so glad we got to talk about the Stanley Parable, which I would say was my number two game of 2013 next to Gone Home. It really was just a completely exciting experience for me. And it's one of the games that inspired this podcast. So I'm so glad we got to feature it on our episode number two. I want to thank our contributors again today. Does that sound weird? It sounds like I'm on NPR. Well, anyway, yeah. I'm Reagan. I'm Reagan Kelly and i'm diane
1: reem don't even try to do a diane reem impression yeah and if you are going to try it they really should be more like <laughs> you like cannot this. do a diane reem impression without being blatantly and obviously offensive <laughs> <laughs>
0: that poor woman had a stroke guys <laughs> leave diane reem alone <laughs> All right. And um I am Reagan. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan
1: K. Spelled funny. R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Nate? You can find me on Twitter at Nate S T L.
0: And I'm Shane Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at 8Bit Shane or on Facebook through Friends of Friends. <laughs> you can find our show on the internet, which is a wide open place full of magical adventures. We have a special address that you can Type in with a keyboard, which is www.theshortgame.net. Net Net implying that it is on the internet. Do I need an HTTP semicolon backslash backslash in front of that? That may depend upon the platform that you use to browse the internet. We gotta cut all of this. No. No. You can find our podcast on Twitter at underscore shortgame. That's a great place to leave us feedback and we love hearing from you. If you want to let us know about a game or tell us how boring we all sounded, that's the place to do it. Uh, we've also got a contact form on our website if you'd like to leave us information there. I want to thank my co-hosts for joining me this week, Nate and my great brother Shane. You're doing good. And... I hope you'll join us next week when we'll be discussing one of my favorite games of all time, indie game touchstone cave story. See you then. I'm just going to keep recording, because you know what? What if there's something really good? What if I say something brilliant?
1: Turd Ferguson.